I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This episode of Base Layer is brought to you by Nexo. Nexo is instant and efficient, just like the SAD. They offer a complete digital asset banking service featuring savings accounts with up to 12% interest, digital asset credit for just 5.9% APR, in exchange with 75 digital asset and fiat pairs and top prices, and loads more all wrapped up for you in a single Nexo wallet. Try it now at nexo.io, that's N-E-X-O.io, or search for the Nexo wallet app on Google Play or in the App Store. There's nearly 60 billion in the DeFi ecosystem today. The platforms are incredible, but there's still one major issue, fees. That's why I'm glad to partner with Paraswap. They've quickly become the connective tissue between various DeFi apps, including DEXs and other DeFi services like Compound and Aave. The new algorithm brings your gas costs down by 30%. If you want to access DeFi platforms with the cheapest fee possible, I highly recommend Paraswap. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Lucas Vogelsang with me today. He is the co-founder and CEO at Centrifuge. Lucas, how are you? Doing very well. Good afternoon, or good morning. Good to have you here. So Centrifuge's mission is to change the rules of global trade to foster economic opportunity everywhere. That's a really good mission statement. Lots to unpack there. And so there are things you were doing here which are going to be very interesting to the family offices and the institutional investors that listen to this. Day in and day out, I continue to hear about tokenization of real-world assets and things of that nature. And so we'll talk all about that. But before we get into Centrifuge and what you're doing there and things like Tinlink, I want to have people kind of hear about you and your past before Centrifuge. What did you do? How did you get inspired into the space? I've... Yeah, uh, where where do I start? I don't want to go too much back, but I um, I mean, I always was into computers. Like as a kid, I loved I loved like playing with them. When I was barely able to read, I sort of started taking my parents' computer apart and would, would get into trouble for like messing stuff up. And then, like pretty much straight out of high school, I like knew I wanted to build something. And sort of, I mean, you hear those stories about Silicon Valley, and so. Ultimately, then I, I ended up in Silicon Valley, um, building at first, like sort of more on the consumer side. And then sort of as my career progressed more and more in the, um, sort of B2B SaaS software space. And ultimately, actually, sort of my last, uh, project that I was involved in, company that I was involved in was Talia, um, where, uh, we did actually supply chain finance. And so sort of my career really was from, uh, web 2.0, Facebook, social media to, uh, to now really dealing with, uh, fintech. And then suddenly I sort of slipped into, uh, 
crypto blockchain, which um, actually like, brought me back to my roots, which are really like in the open source community that I was in as a teenager. And so like, it was really cool to see, okay, now we have suddenly this like technology, not just to build the internet, but to build value transfer and build software with that is able to interact with, with money and not just with communication. So if you had to, I'm curious, if you had to, if someone out there, and again, I want to preface this, that there are thousands of institutional investors who listen to the show who are, I have to say, getting better with Bitcoin. They understand it a little bit more. Um, They might not understand it as well as other people who have been in this for five or six years like us out there, but they're getting it. They are starting to understand Ethereum a little bit. Um, They're early. They're about a year behind, but they're early. Uh, They're getting it. And so if you had to explain what Centrifuge is doing in this whole world of digital assets of blockchains to someone who is just starting to get it, maybe has a little bit of linguistics, how would you describe it? I mean, I would start with um, with Bitcoin and Ethereum and maybe also like how I, you just asked me before, how I got into this space. Like I knew about Bitcoin for a very long time, but, and it's a cool idea. I like the asset class, but Really what made me absolutely excited about crypto was the idea that it's coupling logic with a value transfer. And that's really what Ethereum started doing, right? Because like, like moving the actual dollars is it's like, I mean, in many, in many places, like the last thing you do, like, right? Like when you, when you settle your trade by the time you've already done that trade. But what Ethereum allows you to do is actually to combine the coordination trading sort of all of this that's happening with the value transfer that is happening at the same time, right? So like you can build a smart contract that allows you to settle instantly an option or settle instantly a trade. Um, you can build all of these things and and sort of what we, what Centrifuge is doing is we're, tra- we're building the technology that allows traditional businesses, traditional users and most importantly, like what we call traditional assets, really like any asset that exists that isn't truly native to the blockchain to be used in these protocols. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe to give a very simple analogy is like you could say Centrifuge is building a set of smart contracts that allow you to create an on-chain credit fund because sort of the, the assets that we think are going to be most interesting to bring to DeFi, this new decentralized financial system that is completely operating code are sort of secure debt securities. I think it's very boring to think of like Apple stock and try to put it on the blockchain because actually like I go to my broker and buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of Apple shares. It's pretty, it works pretty well. Um, Where it doesn't, where this existing financial system doesn't work well. And this is where, like I also based on our experience and sort of our team with working in, in trade finance and supply chain finance in the past is it doesn't work well as soon as you don't work in the, with the blue chips of this world, with the publicly traded companies with like the bonds that are listed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole underserved market that can profit from DeFi and from DeFi's ability to do this much more cheaply, much more efficiently. And so we can allow liquid markets to be created around assets that would never get a chance on in our traditional legacy system because the system's so uh, so inefficient and so many so many intermediaries that like make it hardly worth it if you're not 
doing like a $500 million uh, bond issuance, for example. Which feeds into everything that I've been saying for the last year with DeFi is that, in my opinion, that DeFi is going to be fixed income 2.0, that projects like yours are effectively doing that. Um, And they're using the technology that we have now to kind of break down those walls where if you have an illiquid asset and you want it to potentially monetize on that, and potentially if it was a you know investment in a fund or in something else that was fairly illiquid, you would have to go to a secondary broker and they would have to find you a, a buyer and they take very large fees for that. And so what you're doing is basically just removing that intermediary who takes very large fees and democratizing it, which is great. And so very interesting. So I want to get into how you are doing that. Um, you built Centrifuge Chain, uh, the chain that actually does a lot of the work, on Parity Substrate. And Parity uh, Substrate is part of the Polkadot ecosystem. So talk to us about that relationship. Uh, there's bridges to Ethereum. Give us a little bit under the hood on how some of this gets done vis-a-vis blockchain. Yeah, so we deal with assets that are like somewhere from like 10 to 20,000 for like a freight invoice of a container of goods being shipped from China to the US, for example, to like loans and mortgages, which might be like a couple of hundred thousand, maybe even more, right, in size. But like at that size of like a $10,000 transaction, like clearly you're never going to break even on Ethereum today. Um, and so from a very early point, actually, there's two sort of reasons why we started building our own chain. And that this chain is really geared towards, which is one scalability sort of for tokenizing, for originating these real world assets um, in a scalable way. And uh, number two is doing so with privacy, right? Because uh, a lot of the like Ethereum DeFi ecosystem, it, it relies on transparency and this brings an insane amount of, of, of like of innovation and sort of being able to op- interoperate with everything. And this is a, a benefit that we want to use, but we don't want an entire portfolio of loans to be fully public and everything readable to the world, right? Like there might be personally identifiable information that you need to shield. There might be business secrets that you don't want to reveal um, who your suppliers are. And so sort of what we've built and if you chain for us to sort of separate exchange this information privately between certain parties that should have access, like the, the people that underwrite these that give sort of a credit rating on it that might um, price them. And then the the other, the retail investors that maybe should have less, um, less insight into this, right? And so we're building sort of this ecosystem so that information can be shared with those people that need to know, and they can actually use sort of the benefits of the blockchain. They can use the immutability, uh, but they can do so in, in, in privacy. And then sort of centrifuge chain, um, sort of the long-term vision, I think, is that we're heading towards a multi-chain uh, ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. The, the days of Ethereum being the only one, only kid on the block are over. And so for us, this is actually how we think of centrifuge chain is like, we're bringing these real-world assets, we're securitizing them. And then where you sort of, think of these securities ending up, right? The, the tokens that represent shares in these pools, it's going to be wherever there's need for liquidity. So if there's like in the Polkadot ecosystem, there's a lot of interested buyers for real estate, mm-hmm. uh, tokenized real estate, then we'll move some of those tokens there. And if like Ethereum 
people really like this particular asset class and you can move it there. And then if that changes, you move from one ecosystem to the other. And so if you have this like super fluid uh, assets that can just move around and it's why, as you've mentioned, there's, we're, we have a, a running bridge with Ethereum. Um, we're sort of think we're working very closely with other Polkadot projects and sort of scaling out really this vision of, uh, I mean, we call it the like blockchain multiverse. Yep. So let's talk about that. So you have an asset that has some sort of intrinsic value, either you know from relative value, you know someone has done evaluation work upon there, or some sort of an actuarial has come up with a valuation on the asset. Someone has created a value on that asset. The market has either given it, you know that asset a value, or someone has come up with a valuation of that asset specifically. And so, where does that come into centrifuge? So if I have asset X. And it's a real asset, you know, it's a hard asset. And I want to effectively create, you know, this this tokenization of it. Does centrifuge get involved in that valuation, or does that valuation have to come from the participant that's actually putting the asset online to do that? How does that work? So if you so one of the um Let's put it in, in, in a different way. Like, sure. if you think of how we bring these assets on chain, right? Like, value X could be a, a mortgage, could be a trade finance asset. Mm-hmm. Those assets usually are are non fungible, and there's so there's an individual credit risk, there's an individual maturity date, individual interest rate, right? Like, none of them are the same. And so, um, what we started actually with is we started with securitization because. So pooling these assets, because that's how you get scalability. If I go to a maker down, a project that we're working with, and you tell them, I have this $100,000 loan for uh, an invoice, they're going to say, well, actually, like as a community, like we can't price this invoice and accept this invoice as collateral and like 10000 in the next uh, months to follow, right? And it's too, truly an overhead that doesn't work, right? So like we saw, okay, we need to bundle those assets. And so we create, and, and so like, obviously that's nothing new. Securitization is something that's done all the time in the traditional financial system. It is something very new to the, to crypto, right? And so we started building this, uh, securitization framework and the securitization framework that is pure 100% on chain, fully controlled by smart contracts. That is actually sort of taking these individually priced assets where we have the capability to add more and more pricing information by different parties. So like what is often called oracles in the, in the crypto world, right? So different individual data points. And then based on that, it can evaluate the credit risk, sort of a risk score, um, and calculate the nav of this entire portfolio. And so what we have now actually is a, you get diversity and you get sort of this automated, uh, fully automated, transparent on-chain calculation of what this net asset value of this portfolio is going to look like, right? And so this is how we arrive at the price for these securities. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, um, with that, we allow you to manage the risk, manage exposure to different assets. Sort of going a little bit further, actually, though, what we really want to do is um, turn these pools really into DAOs and give the owners of these shares the ability to sort of determine the price themselves by basically creating a, uh, a system where underwriters can come in, uh, make their assessments and get a reward for 
doing a pro proper pricing of these assets. And, and sort of all of this is done um, by the software, right? So we create a system where different underwriters incentive, are incentivized to provide the best pricing and determine, depending on how much, how accurate it is, they'll end up getting, getting their underwriting fee paid. And this creates like this, like one of the key points in crypto is usually you want to reduce the single point of failure, right? You want to reduce this element of there's this one entity that could fail and then it goes, everything goes wrong, right? Like it's everything is very viable, it's sort of crypto economically incentivized. And so sort of in our next iteration, what we're working on is this underwriting functionality, this power through a token that is essentially used to vote or to stake towards these assets, which gives us an access turns the system into like single people providing valuations, providing um, this information and depending on these individual parties to there being a whole like competitive market around doing this pricing that has like an incentive model um, at, at the heart. It's kind of distributing out. So at any, obviously we're talking about tra uh, trade fi traditional finance, you have, you know, the tier one banks out there that have their sell side shops that are always producing research. And then you have aggregators like, you know, Thomson Reuters or Bloomberg or Factset that always kind of get all those analyst recommendations together. And so you can see for Apple, for instance, you can see the price targets and you can kind of see all the aggregation from all the different, you know, uh, sell side analysts out there. And so what you're doing effectively is distributing that out and decentralizing that out um, and using your token uh, effectively as an incentive model to do the work. Um, and whoever obviously is, you know, obviously the closest to the bullseye, if you will, kind of gets that reward. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, imagine like, imagine every analyst out there actually taking some of their own money to buy their votes, right. To buy, to buy the token, then betting on their, on their predicted outcome. And then the protocol re reshuffling the value, right. And incentivize. And, and sort of awarding the analysts that are paid well, that are, are performing well, right? It's exactly how you're describing it. So now we have a system actually where, like, of course, people today are looking at what the at what the performance of the analyst is, and there's people trying to build this in a traditional system. But this is like something that sort of this coordination, this all, all this stuff is like something that crypto allows us to do, right? Like we can build this model into it and like build a marketplace where. Now that the, the analysts, or what we call the underwriters, have the skin in the game and actually vote and are incentivized properly, right? Because if they if they screw up, if they are wrong consistently, they're worse in performance than, than, than the average, and they'll start losing their votes because for, for performing badly, you're, you get slashed. And so that's, that's exactly as you described it. Like that. So let's talk a little bit more... Um the world has been on fire about NFTs, uh, even though you and I both know that NFTs have been around for a few years, but all of a sudden you get, you know, a $69 million purchase of Beeple's work at Christie's, and then you have SNL doing their skit this past weekend, and everyone's talking about NFTs, even though it's been around for years. Um, and I see that you guys do work with NFTs. Talk to us about that, because a lot of people are really interested right now. Yeah, so we have... I think two really hot innovations in crypto, right? The fungible tokens, ERC20 tokens. And those are, those, those were like the first wave. Then non-fungible tokens, really, I mean, at the core, it's just some sort of 
basically a serial number that you can assign ownership and you can re use it really for whatever you want. Um, and CryptoKid is was sort of a game where the idea was, okay, you have cats and that, that's how it started, right? That's how the first wave started. Um, around that time in 2018, we already said, we ha actually, we have um, assets that are non-fungible, right? Every invoice is has is different to another one. So like ERC20 tokens didn't make a lot of sense. Every house is different. Every mortgage is different. So for our our real world assets and sort of how we securitize them, we started built working with NFTs. Like we created this unpaid invoice NFT where the idea was that like whoever owns this NFT now has a claim to the revenue that will come from it. If you take a mortgage and you turn it into an NFT, you could say, well, like the payment streams um, of this mortgage will end up with whoever owns the NFT. And if it defaults, then bad luck. If you're making, um, if, if it, if the pay, if the, uh, mortgage, the, the borrower pays, well, that's, that's great. Right. But this is like just one of the use cases. You mentioned, uh, the, the art market, which is very crazy right now. Um, but this, this is another one, right? Like where people are using NFTs basically to say they're creating this unique piece of art mm -hmm. and you can now trade it. And so if there's a very, uh, a very clear, ownership around it. And I think that appeals to a lot of people because um, unlike like just downloading a song from iTunes, there's not really a direct connection with the artist. Right. There's not really this idea of exclusivity or like even control of the ownership, right? Like actually it's happened so many times to me that I like just lost music because Spotify kicked it out of the catalog. If I buy an NFT from a musician that I like, um, well, then I own it. Right. And I think this is, and I can sell it. And I think that's really the, the interesting part in sort of this, this current NFT bubble that we're in. So um, let's talk about how that relates to Tinlake. So Tinlake is a set of smart contracts that enables borrowers to draw loans against NFTs, um, such as royalties, invoices, warehouse receipts. We've talked about this over the last you know few minutes here, but what's really interesting here is that you, I think I, I think you alluded to it. You're enabling lenders to invest in two different tranches, a senior tranche using a token called DROP and a junior tranche issuing a token called TIN. The senior tranche has a lower stable return and bears less risk, while the junior tranche has higher, more volatile returns and takes on more risk of defaulted loans, thus protecting the senior tranche. This is very similar, obviously, as you alluded to, to AB or senior junior structures and finance. My God. That's really interesting to people out there who never even thought that this existed. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So we sort of have in, 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 in a secure, when you're creating a secure, securitize something, um, you have the asset or the, the thing that you're securitizing. These are our NFTs, right? They're invoices, royalties, whatnot. Each individual asset is represented by an NFT and you sort of lock this NFT to borrow um, money from this pool. The pool on the other side issues tokens to investors, drop and tin. And there's two kinds of tokens you can buy. You can get the equity piece, which is a tin token, um, which will only get repaid if there's any money left. Uh, or you can take the drop token, which will have a fixed interest, right? And so sort of tin lake, this securitization framework, this on-chain credit fund, you could call it, uh, it basically 
manages this entire process. So it manages the revenue streams or the, the, the payment streams that come from borrowers that are paying, repaying loans or that are borrowing money. And it then distributes this, 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 this money flow back to investors in this waterfall, right? So like senior first, but with a fixed interest and then whatever is left up, sort of whatever is charged on top of that, that goes to the junior investors. And so you have this, um, you have this on-chain credit fund where you're guaranteed as a junior, as a senior investor to get money out of this thing first before any junior gets money. And as a junior investor, well, like, you know, you know what you're getting because you have sort of this, this transparency and insight into all of these different NFTs that are locked with like some very high level information of what the portfolio is consistent. And so you can get like a, a nav up to the second, like every, mo every instant to see like sort of how this portfolio is doing, which I mean, it's done in like the like very uh, large market, right. Of like buying Apple bonds and whatnot. But again, like something I think that is unheard of for sort of the smaller asset classes where a lot of these things like trade on a monthly basis, for example, or like the, the issuer like sells you rebalances um, sort of, on a monthly basis and we can sort of do this every second. And where does that liquidity reside? Is that liquidity reside in an exchange that you have set up or are there other places out there? So to date we've, um, so we launched sort of with, with these revolving pools in November and have so far only made it available to individual investors, um, individuals and entities. So no protocols, no DeFi protocols. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've been working with Maker for over a year now on actually making these assets a collateral in, in MakerDAO. And maybe by the time actually this podcast is out, this, this will be live. But um, it's, of course, um, extremely interesting for other DeFi protocols to use these assets as collateral because what, um, what, it, what these assets are is they're crypto assets, but they're completely uncorrelated. And a lot of these lending protocols... Are of course become extremely unstable whenever crypto does big moves. Mm -hmm. um, any of our assets, they're usually don't they're not moving anywhere. If if uh, ETH is having a bad day or or uh, Bitcoin is having a bad day, right? And that's and that that makes actually the whole DeFi ecosystem more secure because having you now have extra liquidity that is not going completely haywire whenever there's a massive. Uh, massive margin calls, liquidations on like leverage positions. Yep. And so um, that's why Maker is very interested in working with us. And we now have uh, five different asset classes that they're working on. The first one is likely going to go into Kovan testnet in the coming days or weeks. Um, and then uh, should get like a $5 million debt ceiling to start out with sort of getting the first real world asset um, backed die. So really minting die in the maker protocol to get um to fund these assets well that is very interesting and i'm very happy that we had this conversation because that is something that is i think going to be very interesting to people who are bridging this gap from institutional world to digital asset world lucas where can people find out more about centrifuge get in touch with you and the team so if you want to look at the product uh, best as you go to tinlake.centrifuge.io. So, um, that is sort of the DAP where you can look at these pools, you can invest, you can see 
the returns, you can see the assets. Um, otherwise, go to centerfuture.io, you'll find um, some more information about the team, what we're doing, um, or hit or uh, join us on Telegram or, or Twitter, of course. Um, yeah. Excellent. This was Lucas at Centrifuge. I definitely am going to spend more time now that I've learned about some of these things that I did not know about researching and doing some work on this. I hope you all do too. And Lucas, hopefully in the next maybe six months or so, we'll have you back on, see how the work is with MakerDAO and see what else you have up your sleeves. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you'd like to show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.